Isn't it amazing? We went out and we uh, surveyed people around the area of all ages and backgrounds, and, and most have a sense that something's wrong in the world, and most have a sense that, you know, it's going to end, and, and a lot of them believe that, you know, there's going to be some kind of return of Jesus Christ, and yet when you really ask them, does it change how you live your life, the answer pretty much is no, not really. And I'm just wondering this morning, why is it that people who know that by death they could evacuate their bodies and be standing before God someday, or by Christ coming back and rapturing us, as the Bible teaches, I just want to know, why is it that people are so unprepared for that divine appointment that we are all going to have someday with God? I mean, y'all know, how many of you know you're going to die someday if the Lord doesn't return? Yep, mortality is 100%, right? And if you believe you're going to meet God, don't you want to be ready? Don't you want to be prepared for that? Or if you believe the Lord could return at any moment, don't you want to be ready to stand before him and answer him? What is it? Why is it some people are going to be caught off guard? I mean, there are a lot of events and appointments in life that you can break and deadlines that you can ignore. And, you know, it's embarrassing, it's expensive, and and you can kind of, you know, make your way back again. But folks, listen, once you die... Once the Lord returns, there are no second chances. So why don't people, why aren't people more prepared? To answer that question, let's look at Matthew chapter 24 and the third message we've been doing on prophecy. And if you missed the other two, you can uh, purchase a CD out at the uh, guest center. But Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 24. Is it hot out there? Yes, all right. Made coming to church a little easier, didn't it? Air conditioning, cool. But it feels kind of warm in here. Anybody besides me a little stuffy in here? Yes. If you all hold your breath for 30 minutes, it'll help cool things down. (laughs) Matthew chapter 24, all right? I want to start reading at verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Let's stop there for a minute. Jesus says the attitude that's going to be present when he returns is going to be the same kind that was present during Noah's day. An attitude that has actually been going on since Noah's day to this very day. You say, what is that attitude? It is the attitude that I just don't really need to pay attention to God. I can live life the way I want to live life. Now, we know from Noah's day that they had been warned that something was coming. In fact, over in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter says that Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. It took them 120 years to build that ark. For 120 years, people would go walking by, and every time they saw Noah, and every time they saw the ark, it was like this, this sermon to them, this, this object lesson that said, There is a flood coming. You better get your act together. But the people didn't listen. What kind of people were they? You go back to Genesis chapter 6, you find out. For instance, in verse 5 and 6, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Sounds like today. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on the earth. Finish the last part with me. It broke his heart. Don't you think it still breaks the heart of God to see people rejecting him? Over in verse 11 and 12, we get more commentary. It says, now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. 
So how was it that they could have the truth staring him in the face for 120 years and, and still not change until the water was over their head? It was because they were bound, they determined, like so many people today are, to live life on their own terms, by their own standard. They didn't want to live by God's terms or God's standard. Read Genesis 3 through 11, and you'll find out there was an attitude back then that I see today that just basically said, we don't want God. We want to be our own God. We want to live life on our own terms. I hear people talk like that today, don't you? I hear them, I hear politicians talk like that, not all, but I hear many of them do. I certainly hear the media talk like that, the news media. I read journalists who talk like that. I read periodicals and articles like that. I listen to pop music today and pop culture, and it seems to espouse the same kind of thing. We all, we all want to kind of live life on our own terms. I want to live life the way I want to live life, and I don't want anybody to tell me. And what a surprise it's going to be for some of those folks when they die or when the Lord comes back and all of a sudden they have to recognize and acknowledge the fact that there is a God, there was a standard, and by their ignoring it, they invite now God's judgment. That's one reason why some people aren't going to be ready when the Lord returns or when they die and have to report to God. But let's move on to the passage. Let's know what else he has to say. He says in verse 40, Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. So here are two people, two men, two women. They're going about the ordinary routine of life when suddenly it is interrupted. And it's interrupted by the Lord's return. One is taken, one is left. Now some scholars say the one who is taken is one who's judged. The one who's left is spared. Others say no, the one who is spared is left is judged the one who is taken is spared it really doesn't matter to me the point is one is spared one is not why why does one get judged and why is the other one spared i think the answer as i look at these people working reminds me of of some folks who spend their whole life with their head down in life you know what i'm talking about you know those people maybe you're one of them it's like life is all about work, and that's all they do is they're consumed by their job. They can only think about their career and progressing up the ladder. For other people, their whole life is spent being a victim, you know? It's all about all the things that have happened to me and how unfair life has been. For other people, life is one big party. It's just one pleasure after another. For other people, it's living impulse by impulse by impulse. And it's like they never stand up and look around and say, gee, what is really, you know, what really is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Why does my life matter? What, you know, what is the significance of me on this planet Earth? There has to be something else. Versus the person who goes through life, they got the career, they got their family, or maybe they're single and they got their, their interests, their hobbies, but periodically they lift their head up and they go, you know what, I got to live my moments in light of eternity. I got to live my moments in light of what God wants for me. And it guides all the choices they make and don't make. See, one person lives for the moment. The other person lives each moment in light of eternity and what God's will might be. Is there anybody here this morning that would say, man, I tell you what, I feel like the guy or the gal whose head is buried. I don't come up for air. My life is consumed by everything I'm doing down here. One of these days, you're going to die. One of these days, the Lord's going to return, and all of a sudden, you're going to realize there's so much more to live for, so much more to life than what you allowed yourself to be consumed by, but it'll be too late. 
We look at the passage and Jesus goes on. He says in verse 42. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming. He would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. In other words, Jesus is saying, imagine somebody who knows their house is going to be broken into, and they don't do anything about it. They just go to bed, maybe even leave the door unlocked. How many of you, if you knew tonight that your home or your apartment or your condo was going to be broken into, how many of you would just go like, yeah, so what, I don't care, I'll leave some milk and cookies out for the guy, all right? How many of you would do that? No way! How many of you would be ready? Let me see your hands. Yes, me and Smith and Wesson, right? We're going to be ready for whoever's coming, Right? I mean, you would be prepared. So what's Jesus' point? He's saying as foolish as it would be for somebody who knows the house is going to get robbed to just let it happen. That's how foolish it is for someone to live their life knowing they're going to die and meet God. Or knowing that someday the Lord is going to return and they don't do a thing about it. It's just foolishness. Just foolishness. And yet I talk to people who are foolish. People who know, I mean, they tell me, I believe in God, and I believe I'm going to have to answer to him someday. I believe God could return, but I'm not ready yet. And they're procrastinators, and they say things like, you know, I just, I, I got a party for a while, right? Especially younger folks, you know, I want to live the party scene for a while. I want to kind of enjoy, you know, my, my whole youth, and then I'll get serious with God as though, you know, God is really boring. And I know most of us old people make God look boring, but he's not, Right? So, you know, I hear that. And when I'm done with all that stuff, when I'm done partying and having sex and experimenting with this and that, blah, 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 and then I'll settle down and get married and have kids and I'll, I'll, then I'll get right with God. Or I meet some people who say, you know what, I just, I'm not ready to change my lifestyle, whatever that lifestyle might be. I'm just, I just like my lifestyle right now. And, and, you know, later on, you know, when things get more serious or whatever, then I'll think about God. Or I run into people who say, I'm just not ready yet. And they can't give me a reason why. They say, I'm just not ready yet, but I will. Someday I'm going to get my act together. And then they have a heart, tra- heart attack and drop dead. They get in a car accident and are killed. Or something else happens in their life. And all of a sudden they're standing before God and it is too late. There is no such thing as reincarnation. It is too late. You cannot start over. The Bible says it's pointed unto men to die once and then face judgment. The next one, though, is one that really bothers me. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Woo, right? Kind of a bad scene there, right? Here's the picture. The master of the house takes one of his employees and he says to him, Look, I'm leaving town and I want you, I want you to be in charge. It's like your, it's like your house. So manage my household, manage my employees well. If you do a good job, when I get back, I will give you a promotion. And the master leaves, and this guy kind of takes over. And I guess for a while, he probably does okay. And then all of a sudden, he gets this notion in his head that his master's been gone a long time, probably won't be back for a while. 
And so he begins to, he begins to abuse the other employees. And he begins to take advantage of the, pastor's, uh, of the uh, master's power and the master's money. And then, and then he starts to just kind of live really wildly. And then all of a sudden the master shows up. And the master sees what's happened. And bad things happen as the story reveals to us. Why is it that someone who, who knows the truth, who actually is given gifts, talents, abilities, and, and is given responsibility by God to handle people and to handle God's business, why is it that a person like that turns and becomes abusive and becomes evil? A couple of weeks ago, I was visiting a pastor, and he was walking me along his property. He was showing me these various buildings. And he goes, by the way... Um, I don't know if you remember or not, but he says, this property used to belong to Jim and Tammy Baker of PTL. How many of you remember that, all right? Some of you younger ones are like, PTL? Look at the internet and you'll find out, all right? But Jim and Tammy were in this one particular building. That's where they had their audience, their studio audience. And I remember watching them in the early 80s. And they'd sing and he'd be preaching, you know, TV evangelist. And, 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 and they'd have testimonies and and they'd have tears. And I mean, they had a whole deal, right? And they had Bibles they sold, you know, with their pictures in the front cover. That used to freak me out. Somebody in my church bought me one once, and I tore the page out. But anyway, you know, that was the whole, that was the whole, it was a big deal. There were thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands who were tuning in and really involved with the PTL network. Yet behind all that makeup, behind all that singing, behind all that preaching, what did we all discover? We discovered that there is thievery going on. They are stripping the saints financially. They are abusing their position and their power. And we also found out there was immorality. And the whole thing came tumbling down. I felt very nervous walking around that place. Very nervous walking around that place. It's reminding me of what a, what a responsibility I have. Any leader has. To manage what God's given us. But everyone here has gifts, talents. Everyone here has resources that you're called to manage on God's behalf as one of his followers. And it's easy to become abusive with it. Think about the Catholic Church today. Think about how many of my Catholic friends have been so injured and so hurt by priests. Not all, but by some priests. Who have taken an oath to protect and lead them and have turned around and abused them. Or think about Ted Haggard who was the, uh, had this big church in Colorado. Head of the National Association of Evangelicals. And, and he was living a double life. And when that hit the news, it was just a black mark on, on the whole church. You know, and I thank God when these folks come to their senses and repent, as many of them have. But the devastation along the way is just so terrible. Why is it somebody that knows better, somebody who's been given an awesome responsibility like that, turns away from God and becomes abusive? When I was thinking about that, I was reminded of the story of Joseph in Genesis when he is taken into Potiphar's house as a slave, he's elevated, and Potiphar says, run my household for me. And, and uh, Mrs. Potiphar, whose name was Hotifer, remember? That, really, that was not her name. Anyway, remember, she wants Joseph. She's like after him all the time, wants to have sex with him. And he keeps saying, no, 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 no. And finally he looks at her one day and he says, look, everything my master has is given me to take care of, but you belong to him. And I will not sin against God. And then he got framed, remember, and ended up in prison. But he kept his integrity. 
And I, and I looked at that story, and I looked at these situations. I asked myself, what's the difference? And I realized the difference is this. Joseph always kept the perspective of being a steward and not an owner. What happens in somebody's life when they've been given so much responsibility by God and they abuse it and they abuse others is they begin to think they're the owner. And they kind of push God aside and decide they'll run things and it affects their pride. And I'm telling you what, if the Lord returns and you die while that's going on, you know, I'm not exactly sure how to interpret the rest of that passage, but you know what, folks, you are, that's not going to be a fun meeting because there will be no second chances. Given an awesome responsibility and abused it. So let me ask you a question. If the Lord were to return today, are you ready? Are you on your guard? If you were to die right now, stand before God, would you be found ready? Would you be found prepared to meet him today? You say, well, how do you do that? How do you get prepared? How can I know I'm, I'm ready? Well, Jesus answers it in the same passage. Look at verse 42. It says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Keep watch or keep on keeping watch. Look at verse 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. How can I, how can I be prepared for that inevitable day? By being vigilant, Jesus says. And he says, being vigilant by, by watching and being ready. My son, Ben, and his lovely wife, uh, had, Sarah, had uh, or discovered 10 months ago that they were pregnant. And uh, now my little grandson, Harrison, was born a little over a month ago, just bringing joy and delight in their life and in grandpa's life as well. And what was really interesting was to watch Sarah, who's the most organized woman in the world. I'll put her up against anybody. Son is lucky to have her. She really began to anticipate that little baby boy. In fact, we were over at their house a couple of months before, you know, the event of the child being born, and we were taking a tour of the nursery that they had upstairs, and the walls were painted a perfect color. The stenciling was just right. Everything was laid out the way it was supposed to be, and she had her bag packed. Two months before the baby was due, she was anticipating Then she opened up their walk-in closet, and there was the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. There on on the pole, right, were hanging all of the baby's clothes they had bought and been given or received according to age and according to size and according to color. And then there were these bins that were laid out, okay? And in one bin were folded socks, and the socks are folded in various bins by various sizes. And then the shoes and bins by various sizes. The pacifiers in bins by various sizes. The bib cloths in bins by sizes. The burp cloths in bins by sizes. The diapers where they needed to be. Oh, she was ready. She was very ready for that baby. And I told her, I said, you need to go and start a business. And you can consult with new moms. She would be great at it. In fact, last night she said, I'll call it Nest Friends. Isn't that cool? If I see it out there, we'll sue. All right? Just kidding. All right? Just kidding. All right? But I said, you need to do it. Because it just, I mean, and I thought, that is a picture perfect. I mean, that's what it means to be vigilant. Let me ask you a question. What is it that keeps a woman anticipating and ready for nine months? What keeps her anticipating and ready is that she has a growing, palpable sense 
of the child in her womb. Right? I mean, it's there. And you're aware. And you know something's going to happen sooner or later. And you can't wait. I mean, can you imagine, ladies? Can you imagine getting pregnant and you don't know it? Like, nothing happens in your body physically. You feel the same that, you know, that you've always been feeling. And, the, you know, and, and nothing expands, right? You're, you're, you stay the same size you were the whole time. And then all of a sudden, one day you wake up and you don't feel very good. And you wonder what is going to happen. And then something happens and you're amazed. They got a reality show. What's it called, Sarah? I didn't know I was pregnant. How many of you have seen that? That's, wow, that's, how many of you ladies knew you were pregnant? Let me see your hands. Yeah, I mean, I guess it does happen. That's quite a surprise, huh? But you know it, right? Now, listen carefully. It's a wonderful spiritual metaphor because, listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if Christ lives in me, I should be aware of his presence. And being aware of his presence should cause me to say, I can't wait to go home and see him or I don't really want to die, but I'm okay with death because when I know I die, I am going to see him. But there's so many believers who go through life, listen, and they don't sense God in them. Why? Because they are stuffing God down. They are grieving his spirit. They are not letting him be in control. When a baby, I have never had this happen to me, but when a baby starts to grow in your womb, it starts to take over your body. That's what it means to be filled by the spirit. You know, as Christ comes into my life, I give him control of my life, and I feel him taking over. Amen? Is he in control of your life today? Are you aware of his presence? I got to tell you another little story about waiting. My mom, who I just dearly love, and my dad, live in Florida, and I used to live on the West Coast. And to get to their house, because the three-hour time difference, and I always end up with a late flight, was an ordeal. It took all day long. And normally, I'd have to fly into Tampa to get a good rate, and I'd drive the two and a half, three hours down to Fort Myers and out in the country where they lived. And when I used to visit them back in those days, once or twice a year, I wouldn't get in until maybe 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, right? And they live out in the country, so I'd be looking for their road, Double J Acres Road, you know, and driving really slow down these old country roads with no lights around, find the road, turn right, and from there on, I had no problem finding their house because the other houses were very dark at 2 or 3 a.m. But my mom's house, my mom and dad's house, there was always a light on in the kitchen window. And my dad would be fast asleep. That boy will find his way. Don't worry about it. Hey, you know, but my mom at 2 or 3 a.m., she would be peeking through the window at every headlight wondering if that was her son. And sure enough, I'd pull in, get out of the car, and as soon as I did, she had this massive flash, like, the light would come on. And she'd kind of shine it on the path, you know, all the way up the door. And so, you know, my mom's love language is baking, and she would bake everything I love. Pineapple upside down cake, pecan caramel cheesecake, peanut butter cookies, molasses cookies, sugar cookies. And they would be spread out. I'm telling you, I'm the only one coming. They would be spread out over the entire table. At 2 a.m., she'd give me a hug and a kiss and say, what were you hungry for? And I couldn't refuse. But I tell you what, I cannot tell you how good it feels to know someone's waiting for you when you come home. Especially at 2 or 3 in the morning because you know they've sacrificed, they've given up their own sleep for you. I love going home. I love going home. I love going home. And it will be a sad day when the Lord calls my mom home for me. Because mom's always waiting for me. Not with bad news, not with what's wrong, just she's just waiting for me. I love that. 
And you know what? It must, it's an act of worship when God sees us with the same spirit, just saying, God, I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm looking. I can't wait for you to come. Can you imagine that just fills the heart of God with joy? My child's waiting for me. And you know what? God's waiting for you. That's why it says in the Psalms that it's a blessed thing when God's people die, when God's, God's children die, because he's waiting for them too. He's waiting for them too. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Somebody's waiting for you. Somebody's waiting for you. God's waiting for you. God loves you. Are you waiting for him? Are you ready for him? He say, well, we're supposed to be vigilant. Anything else? Yes, one more thing. Matthew chapter 24 and just verse 45 and 6. Here's what it says. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I'm to be vigilant, but finally, listen, I am to be busy about God's business. I'm to be busy with the master's business. I have to be busy with the master's business. When the Lord comes back in my career, I want to be doing my job, whatever it is, whatever my job is. But I want to be doing it with an attitude that this is kind of like my place to witness by my lifestyle, by my attitude, by how I handle difficulties to build relationships. In my school, you know, I'm going to school, I'm going to class, but I'm praying for the students around me silently, you know. I'm trying to witness to them. In my hobbies, in my church, I'm using my gifts, my talents, my resources. I'm just spending my life for God's purpose. Because that's the only reason we've been left here, is to influence people for Christ. Not force them, not manipulate them, but influence them for Christ. That's why we exist on this earth. It's the only reason why. And you've got to get that through your head. Otherwise, you know, God would take us all home. He's left us here in the time he gives us to influence others for him through our jobs, our vocation, our talents. The problem is we make all those things, things in themselves. No, those are my vehicles to, to show God's love. And when the Lord returns, we need to be found busy doing his work. I read a story the other day about what happened when Mount Vesuvius blew up and destroyed Pompeii. People were trying to escape. Some were trying to climb out mountains. Others were trying to get underground. But the the lava and the hot ash literally froze people, mummified them in place. And archaeologists, you know, know, a thousand years later have uncovered people caught running like this or, or caught hiding, you know, caught doing what they were doing in that moment when the mountain blew. And one of the most interesting uh, persons that was caught and kind of froze in place is a Roman sentinel who's standing by one of the gates and, and frozen in place, still clasping his sword. See, the captain would have placed him there at the gate. Can you imagine that, Roman, for just a minute? The mountain blows up, hot ash spewing everywhere, the ground is shaking, you know, uh, nauseous, toxic gases being expelled, the lava flowing, the whole deal happening. What would you do? Run. Run, 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 and pray, right? That's what I would be doing. But here's this Roman guard, and he's just holding his post with the earth shaking and people running around, shouting, chaos taking place. This is his job. He's not going to move from it. And I just see our world right now is just blowing up, isn't it? There's just all kinds of stuff going on around us. People panicking, people uncertain, people going all directions. What are we going to do? You know, who's going to save us? Hey, you know what? Believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, hold your ground. 
Stay faithful. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep serving. Because your Savior is coming back soon. Amen. Can I ask you a question? If you were to die today, would you be ready to meet the Lord? If the Lord would return tomorrow, would you be prepared to receive him? To embrace him? Would you bow your heads with me, please, right now? And I do ask for a moment when I can be with you and the Lord together. No one looking around. No one moving unnecessarily. If you're here this morning and you have, you have questions or doubts about whether you would be ready to meet God or not, let's put, those, let's put those doubts aside. If you're here today and you know for a fact, you felt like one of the people I was describing earlier, people in Noah's day or one of the people who's got their head buried or that person who's procrastinating or maybe that person is being abusive with what God has given you. You know it and you say, man, I am not ready to meet God. I want to be. You know what? This morning you could ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. You don't have to go through life doubting. This morning you can have assurance. If you're here today and you're unsure about whether or not you're ready to meet God, if you're willing to make a commitment to Him right now with our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you, like others have done this weekend, would you just raise your hand, young or old, it doesn't matter, and say, Dale, I am ready this morning to make my peace with God. I'm not going to procrastinate anymore. I'm not going to play any more games. I am ready right now. Just raise your hand up high. Young or old, it doesn't matter. Would you pray this prayer with me right where you are silently? Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I admit to you I am not perfect. Like Dale, I too am a sinner. This morning I recognize, God, that I don't have peace and assurance. I'm confused about whether I'm ready or not. So right now I ask you to just wash me clean in my sins. Forgive me my past. Cleanse my heart. I invite your son into my life. Lord, by, by the strength that I have, I am determined that I'm going to follow you from this day forward. Please fill me with your peace, I pray. God bless you for praying that prayer. You put your hands down. Would you give a hand to God and for those who raised their hand this morning to receive Christ? You know what? In a few minutes, in a few minutes when our service is over, I'm going to ask one of our elders. I'm going to ask Steve if he'll come down. He's going to stand right over here in this corner, Steve Maddowick, after the end of the service. And those of you who raised your hand, I want to ask you to go meet Steve. Shake his hand. He wants to pray with you, get some information from you, and and come bring you to meet me. I want to pray over you. You can't do this alone, folks. Don't be like some folks who just, you know, scurry out and they made their private little decision. You can't live this life on an island. That's why we have a church. We want to encourage you and pray with you if you made that decision this morning. Now we come to the communion table. This is a meal prepared and given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ to celebrate His gift, God's gift to us, His Son and His life. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for a moment as we prepare for this table. And as we stand, I want you to bow your heads and I want you to come clean with God. The Bible says as followers, we are to examine ourselves. If you have any sin in your life right now, would you confess it to Him? And while you're doing that, may I say to those of you who've not yet placed your trust in Christ. You're not ready yet. You're welcome to observe this meal, but not to partake of it. Don't be embarrassed. We respect you. But this is a meal for those who've claimed Christ as his own. 
Father, we confess our sins to you this day, whatever they might be, attitude, lust, critical spirit, gossiping heart, whatever it is, we confess and release them to you. And Lord, if we have hurt someone, we commit to you today to go and make it right with them. Your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have confessed your sins, accept God's forgiveness and pray with me the prayer our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated.